Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Give it up for Michelle one more time. Thank you for sharing. Well, it is so great to be with each and every one of you today, those of you, of course, here uh, in the room, and those of you watching online or or however you're uh, connecting with us through technology. Thanks so much for just joining us. And um, as we get going, before I even jump into more of this idea of extravagant love, I just want to reiterate and reemphasize our day of prayer this week. You know, we have a day of prayer, night of worship happening this Wednesday, and I want to encourage you to come and be a part of it. Uh, there is a lot going on in the world these days. It's heavy days, is it not? There's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges. And even as we um, you know, know about the crisis going on in Afghanistan or the, the rise in COVID and, and even knowing that 13 service members died, there's just so much happening. It's heavy days. And one of the ways that we can respond, of course, is to go to, to, go to God in prayer. And so what we're doing this Wednesday is just, is just that. And uh, I just want to encourage you to do it. We're going to, as, as Scott mentioned at the very beginning, um, you can come anytime between starting at 6 a.m. in the morning and just come and there's going to be a guided kind of thing you can utilize if you want. But we'd encourage you to come. And then, of course, that night we have a night of worship. Uh, but, you know, in Psalms it says, where do I go for my help? It says that I go to the maker of heaven and earth and, and that we can go to the Father in times of need. So whether you're feeling it or you just want to come and intercede on behalf of others, uh, it is worth coming. It's going to be a great day and a big day. All right, you guys ready to get into what I would call message uh, value number two of six. We are talking about extravagant love. And uh, we are in this series called Live the Values. And we are talking about the values of our church. And we're going to be looking at this particular one. We're going to jump right into it. I believe the Holy Spirit has some things today. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, consider the kind of extravagant love. Everyone say extravagant love. love. Let's do that again. (laughs) Consider the kind of extravagant love. Everyone say extravagant love. love. The Father has lavished on us. Now, lavish means, just so you know, to bestow something generous and extravagant in quantity. So the Father has lavished on us. He calls us children of God. It's true. We are his beloved children. And in the same way, the world didn't recognize him. The world does not recognize us either. I wonder if anyone ever feels like the world has misunderstood you. Anybody with me on that? You know, especially as Christians, do you ever feel misunderstood? And I just want you to remember, even as we get into this, that Jesus is one of the most misunderstood people, if not the most misunderstood person in the world. He was largely shunned by the world around him in in the midst of him giving this extravagant love. But for those who allow Jesus to enter their hearts and to flood their souls... They were able to taste and see how good God is. Psalm 63, 3 says, it says this, it says that his love is better than life, so my lips will glorify the Lord. So when we talk about the stra- extravagant love of the Father, we say it this way. Next slide here. Just, we say this. It says, we, this is how we say it at OKC Community. If you're wondering, like, what do we care about? What do we believe? Well, one of the things we care about is extravagant love. We recklessly love God, one another, our neighbors, our city, and the world. Love never fails. Who in here agrees that love never fails? Amen? Now, I've used this word extravagant and this word reckless kind of for a long time with similar meaning. When I was 17, I was in a, I was in a car accident. And it was regretfully my fault. 
And when it's your fault, sometimes you're given a ticket for what you did wrong. And I was given a traffic citation and it was cited as reckless driving. And at the time I had, didn't even know what reckless driving was. And so I asked the police officer, what does this even mean? He says, oh, it means that you were driving out of control without any regard for your own safety or the safety of others. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> First of all, I didn't know I was doing, I didn't mean to do that. I mean, that wasn't my intentions. And he goes, but how many of you know this is an important lesson to learn in life, right? That just because it wasn't your intentions, right? Just because it wasn't your intentions, there is a truth that your actions speak louder than your words or your intentions. And so this is the case when it comes to love, is that our, we are people of love when our actions say so, not when our words or even our intentions communicate that we are people of love. It's actually lived out in our actions. And so this word reckless has stood out to me ever since I was a kid. And this is with a slight revision, slight revision to, to, the, to, the, to the definition that fine police officer gave to me that day. What if our love for God and for others was out of control? What if our love for God and others had a selfless abandon and a reckless heart towards, towards anything that would be of our own regard? What if we loved with the type of extravagant love that God loves us with? And when I say that, I know it's impossible for to love, to love like God, but we can value that type of love and it can be something that we want to embody and flow through us as much as possible, right? And love is a complicated thing in this world right now. And I'm not even talking about romantic love, but we all know that's complicated. I'm talking about, has anyone noticed that not everyone is so lovable these days? <laughs> the other day, someone... Someone honked and flipped me off because I was driving the speed limit. And that's not, I'm not joking. I seriously was driving the speed limit. I was not driving under the speed limit. I look in my rear view mirror and it was an ugly sight. I guess I was in their way and they wanted to let me know through their finger, which is a very strange human expression. If you think about that, why do we do that? It's so weird. And I was thinking, man, he's, I guess I was in their way, right? And that's how it can feel these days. Everyone feels the right to bulldoze and bully people who like, they feel like are in their, in their, that are in their way. People believe it's their human responsibility to let you know when you're in the way, when what you're doing's wrong, when what you're thinking's wrong, with the way you're living it's wrong. And this method that people are using these days when people get in the way is they use methods of shaming or pressuring or bullying or trying to prove that they are the right ones. Is any, you guys feeling this in these days? Yeah, right? This happens, of course, in politics. It happens in traffic jams. It happens in how you raise your kids. It happens with your opinion about COVID or it happens with you know, school policies or social causes or how you vote or what you look like or what you do when you look at others. I mean, it, it's, it's everywhere, right? People, there's just a lot of judgment in the world this, in these days. Has anyone felt judged lately? You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you did. Maybe a better question is, have you judged lately? Hmm. Listen, love is easier said than done. And when we judge others, it closes the door on love. How many of you would agree that whether a person agrees with you or not about any endless list of topics, that that person is still worthy of your love? Anybody agree with that? And I wonder if you could confess today 
that if you were going to think about the person or the group of people that make you the most mad right now, they're the people that just get under your skin, the people that you just, man, I, I just, you don't know, you just hold yourself back when you're around them. And I wonder if you could say, not only are they worthy of God's love, but they are truly worthy of my love. It's sort of a sobering thought to know that I and you and all of us collectively, we are those people to others. That there's probably people out there that we are that person or in that group of people that they just, they just can't stand. I mean, for, it's no secret that the church is that for a lot of people. Yet thank the Lord everyone is worthy of our love. Aren't you thankful that you are worthy of love? Some of you probably need to hear that today, and I hope that you will as we talk through this, but I just, I just know that right now, many of us are feeling pulled and pushed out of the way. It's like someone's in the rearview mirror just pushing you out of the way to one side or the other of all the arguments that surround us. And for those of us who are Christ followers, we struggle with this because we know that it has nothing to do with the extravagant love of God, yet we are being pushed and pulled one direction or another, and out of the way. So what do we do? As I thought about this message, I just really thought about like, what, what, is, really the, what is really the antithesis right now of love? What's the challenge with love? And, and I just felt the pressure of the world around me that just tells me to not love, but to judge. That tells me to not love, but to fight. That tells me to not love, but to choose, to pick a side. Well, it may not be a surprise to you, but any true and authentic faith in Jesus, it runs smack dab in the middle of extravagant love. It may not be a surprise to you, but I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in us today to mature us in this idea of love. Because Jesus, in Matthew 22, he puts love, he positions it smack dab in the middle of what's most important. We've heard this verse, but I want to talk about it anyway. Matthew 22, 36, a religious leader tested Jesus by asking him a question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Everyone say the law. law. Well, the law in Israel was cherished. It was known as the Torah. And the Torah was the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? The people often called this the the Torah. They called it the way, the truth, and the life. So can you imagine when Jesus shows up and he says, hey, by the way, this thing you cherish, the Torah, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he was definitely disrupting on purpose. He was definitely trying to change everything about everything. And so Jesus, this new powerful rabbi who is kicking up a bunch of dust, he is asked to interpret the holy Torah, the thing that everybody reveres. It's the most sacred text in the world. And they say, what do you believe is the most, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So this is a big moment. This is a drum roll moment. This is when the president is asked, what is the most important agenda item of your presidency? He is about to say and reveal what he believes is most important about the most important thing. And he says this in verse 37. By the way, it's also called a test. Anybody ever ask you questions that you feel like is more of a test than a question? Hmm. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, his reply right there would have been considered a very good rabbi-like answer. That answer was taken straight from the Torah. It was actually one of the most sacred texts in all of Israel. It it comes from Deuteronomy 6.4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? And then he says, Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. 
So everybody would have loved that he said this. In fact, this verse in Deuteronomy was one of the most cherished verses, and it was, it was the verse that most children would memorize. It would be the first scripture they would memorize. It was actually known as the Shema. Everyone say Shema. Now, the Shema was sacred. They would memorize this because it was, it was, the, it was, the, it was the most important thing to them. And so he answers this, and it pleased everyone, right? Way to go, Jesus. You passed the test. And then he does something quite staggering. It's something unexpected. He does a little freestyle with the Shema, if you will, right? And he adds this. He says, yes, that's the first and greatest commandment. And we're going on to the next verse. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, the thing that they cherish, right? And the prophets hang on these two things. Now, at this point, when he says this, there would have been an audible gasp. <gasps> what do you mean second? The guy didn't ask for two things. He asked what's the greatest. And Jesus adds a second. And then he goes on to say, basically, everything that you believe, all the things the prophets have said, they hang on these two things. And this would have staggered those listening that day because Jesus is actually adding to the Shema. He's actually adding to it. And who has the authority to amend the sacred Shema? It's the way, the truth, and the life. And here he is adding to it. Everyone reveres the statement. Had they heard, love your neighbor? Sure, but it was definitely a lesser command than love the Lord your God. So why is he messing with it? You don't mess. You don't try and fix what ain't broke, right? It's like me taking Nike's slogan, just do it, and just changing it just a little. Just do it later. <laughs> just do it later. <laughs> right? Like, who am I to change that? Like, it already works, and I'm making it worse. Like, what is, it, what is he, like, who has the authority to change the thing that everybody already knows? What's he doing here? John Ortberg explains it like this put this on the screen, but he says, Jesus in an act of breathtaking authority and absolute brilliance weds the notions of loving God and loving others together in a way that the world would be revolutionized by and quite simply would never be able to forget. Listen, before Jesus came along, catch this, it's gonna blow your mind. Religious people and churchgoers, people who went to church, they could actually love God and not love other people back then. So glad it's better now. <laughs> but Jesus come along, he said, uh-uh, no more. We're not doing that. Listen, if you love God, you're going to have to love people. That's what I'm commanding. Amen. What's the most important thing? It's love. But not just love in some religious context where you can go in a closet and just be with you and God, but it's love in the world. It's love in action. It's not love in intention. It's not love in words, but it's love in action indeed. This is what Jesus says. You're not going to do this anymore. I'm going to change everything about everything. And here's the thing. In Galatians 5, 6, it says it this way. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul wrote this to a group of Christians. If you read that chapter, he writes this to a group of Christians who are arguing over religious practices and what they need to do, debating over what made Christians mature. Paul says, you wanna be mature? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. <laughs> now it might take a minute, but this should literally stop us in our tracks. This should like hit us like a ton of bricks. This should blow us away. This should trip our trigger. I don't know, something like that. 
Because put this on notice, maturity is expressed in love. I can't tell you how many times I've missed this as like a husband. Sometimes I think being a husband is expressed through like taking care of business, being a good man. But being a good husband to Christy is seeing her for who she is, listening to her, loving her with all of my heart. But I've missed it so many times because I think being a good husband is being dependable or being helpful around the house or, you know, I don't know, being really good at yard care, right? Those, it, being a husband is expressing it through love. And I haven't just missed this as a husband, but I've missed this as a dad, as a father, as a, as a friend, as a pastor, as a leader, like as a neighbor. That, that I forget, like, what really is the mark of maturity in those things. It's love. And in our, in our relationship with God, this gets played out, right? Our faith and maturity is, mo- is not expressed in how much Bible knowledge you have, or it's not expressed in how long you've been a Christian. That's not the mark of maturity, or, or how often you go to church, or, or how bold you are with the truths of the Bible. I mean, our maturity is not measured in those things. Now, those things have their their place in the conversation of our spiritual walk and our spiritual life, they are important, but they are not what makes us mature and healthy people. What makes us mature and healthy is how we embody love. And not the kind of love that's easy. It's not just like the love that we have for our children because we made them and we love them. It's not the love for your favorite people in the world, but it's, it's, loving, it's loving people that are difficult to love. I mean, this is what Jesus did all the time. He was loving people that were difficult to love. And he went as far as to say that, hey, you actually have to love your enemies. And that's not easy to do, is it? I mean, I have a hard enough time loving people who flips me off in, the, in traffic, right? Much less an enemy, someone who hurt me or hurt someone I love or people who stand against everything I believe in. So yeah, this stops me in my tracks. Yeah, this blows me away. That my maturity is wrapped up in love. Not in intention, not in words, not in beliefs, not in knowledge. But even love when it's not easy, it's a reckless love. It's an extravagant love. One that's out of control. That's where maturity lives. And this is difficult for most of us to wrestle with because we want our maturity to be found in deeper knowledge, longer prayer times, more Bible reading, more disciplines, more church attendance, all good things. But they, if they don't lead us to acts of love, well, they're nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this, which is a great passage, not just for weddings, by the way. It's a, great, it's a fine wedding scripture, but it's a better scripture about spiritual maturity. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says this, if, if we were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages, meaning I was very smart, and had heavenly tongues of angels, because I was very gifted, and yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging symbol. And if we were to have the gift of prophecy with profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I'm nothing. 
And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you can do some of the most impressive spiritual activity, but without love, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't love with your actions, then you haven't attained anything. Now, if I kept reading, there's some amazing verses about describing what love is. You probably are familiar with them. It's that rant that he goes on. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, you know, not self-seeking. He goes on and on. But I'm going to skip down a few verses. I think it's down to verse 12. And he talks about this idea of maturity. He says, when I was a child, I spoke about childish matters. For I saw things like a child reason like a, chi- reason like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. And he goes on, he says, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff I still don't understand about the world. And I'm going to skip that verse and jump to the last one. He says, there are three things that remain, though. Faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. In other other words, he's saying the only thing that counts as faith is expressing itself through love. And I, I think in some ways that feels a little dramatic, seems a little overstated, seems a little inflated, because we are going to say, well, doesn't hard work count? Doesn't our commitment count? Doesn't all these other things? They do count, and they're all important when they come from love. And it may, so it may seem overstated until you really consider who God is. You know, it says over and over in the scriptures, it says that God is love. You see this throughout the narrative story of God. You see this throughout creation and people in the centuries of experiences that people have had with God. It comes down to this nature that God kind of resides in, which is love. That God himself is rooted in love. Ephesians 3.17 talks about this idea of being rooted in love. You probably heard this before, but then by constantly using your faith. So again, we're going to talk about the expression of faith right there, right? The life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life, being rooted and established in love, meaning the source of how you live, the core of who you are comes from love. The resting place of God's love can be the root of your life. In fact, you yourself as a human being can be a resting place for the Holy Spirit. So if you just want to, I really do need to make sure that we're tracking today and everybody's on the same page. What is the mark of maturity? Love. It's love. Which is why the amount of judgment happening these days is so difficult. Because remember, when we judge others, we close the door on love. In David Benner's book, um, Soulful Spirituality, he presents a number of questions that are really helpful that we can ask ourselves uh, when we're interacting with others to make sure that we're staying on track with love and, and we don't have time to go through all of them, but I wanted to just point out to one of the questions that he asked, and this is one of the key questions that is honestly so frighteningly simple that it can actually revolutionize the way you love. It's that simple. I put it on screen and it's just this question, am I loving or judging? This is a question that you and I can use daily in our interactions to help us love better? Am I loving or judging? Unfortunately, and quite frankly, tragically, many people outside the church, people who don't identify as Christians, they describe 
Christians are just judgmental. It's one of the most common words to describe Christians today. Now, perhaps those studies that tell us that, maybe they're slanted, maybe they're skewed, maybe, maybe they're not true, but I would think that most of us would at least agree with the fact that there is a perception out there that Christians are judgmental. <laughs> now, here's my commentary, if that means anything. I think everyone is judgmental, not just Christians. Christians get hit harder because most people are aware that the scriptures teach us to not judge. Therefore, they have a rightful expectation when they come into a body of believers for it to be a judgment-free zone. And whenever it's not, it's bewildering. It seems hypocritical. And on top of that, it's layered because then it has this connection to one's view of God. And so it becomes complicated very quickly, which puts all the more credibility to, to this whole idea that we must put love at the center of our Christian understanding, our Christian theology. The truth is, though, <laughs> judging others is rampant in and out of the church. Anyone agree with that? We judge people for how they look. We judge people for the politics they have or the, how they raise their kids. We can judge people for not just going to church or not going to church, but for which church they go to. We judge people for their Enneagram score. Oh, oh, now I, now I get it all. Oh, mm-hmm. You're a one, got it. We judge people for what part of town they live in. Oh. You must be rich, you must be poor, you must be this, you must be, just by where they live, what cars they drive. We judge people for just about anything. We judge people for what they said that one time we were with them, we judge them for what they didn't say. We spend 10 minutes with someone and we judge them, we size them up and we spit them out. Pete Scazzaro emotionally, he wrote a, several books around emotional health, but he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship that came out recently, and he talks about this, and he, this is his quote, but he says this. He says, I speak as a recovering judgeaholic. <laughs> like most people I know, I don't do well with people who think, act, or believe differently than I do. I was trained to, be, trained to be judgmental in my family of origin. We simply considered it normal to disapprove of anyone who was different and try to get them to change so that they would see the world as we did. Now, of course, he didn't end there. He goes on and he talks about how love has become his antidote to his judgment. And as Christians, this is our challenge, isn't it? Because we have something that we want everyone to agree with and we want to present to them. We want them to accept and believe. And so we're trying to convince the world. But in all this convincing, our mindset can't be to convince before it is to love. Sometimes we have to stop convincing and just start loving. I mean, there is truth that we need to share, but there is more love that we need to share. This is our challenge as Christians. We must see every person as worthy of God's love and worthy of our love. 
Because love leads the way, doesn't it? I mean, correction doesn't lead the way. Convincing doesn't lead the way. Judgment, of course, doesn't lead the way. Pushing or bullying, it never leads the way. Judgment closes the door on love. And we all, all of us, we must admit and confess our judgmental acts. We must repent of them and we must turn to love. And in case you're thinking, yeah, Tim, this is all good and I get it, Christianity is all about love, but there is a piece of me that's just like, it's not just like a kumbaya circle all the time, right? Like we're in a fight. We are the army of God. We got to stand up. We got to do our thing. We got to go after it. And I would say, you know what? I understand that we are in a battle. And I think sometimes love gets categorized as weak and soft and spineless and watered down. But I just know that for me, the most courageous things I do in my life is when I step into love. The most bold things I do is when I love when I would rather judge. By the way, if we're in a battle, the only thing that doesn't fail in that battle is love. Because love never fails. Everything else will. And no part of the mission of Jesus was to judge people. Not one part of it. Nothing. Even in the name of standing up for the truth, when we judge people, we treat people as objects. But only God with his infinite wisdom that is greater than ours, only does he have the right and the wisdom to judge. Now, I don't mean you won't disagree with people, in case you're wondering. It just means that we treat them as a person worthy of our love, even if we disagree with them. We can use that sentence that Craig taught us last week. <laughs> Tell me more, right? We can treat people as precious, who need a type of love that is patient and kind and not rude and not self-seeking, but one that protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. That's the kind of love that doesn't fail. So you gotta ask yourself, and this could be a daily question, a daily interaction. This could be catching yourself in the moment. Am I loving or am I judging? So what do we value at OKC community? What are we all about? What do we care about? Well, I'd like to say, that we value extravagant love. But I also am aware that there can be words and intentions that are not yet actions. And I, I for one, am, am wanting and challenging and encouraging and imploring this church to be people of action. I need it in my own life. I look around and go, I don't wanna just be intentions. I wanna be actions of love. So yes, we are all about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yes, we are about loving others with an understanding that every person is worthy of our love. I want to close with Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, and we'll pray. I want to bring us back, if you will, to where we started with the extravagant love of the Father. But listen to these words. It says, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, meaning how deep and wide is God's love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love 
pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. You know, we started, Michelle, she shared that picture of God's love just being poured out, being drenched in the extravagant love of God. And I think my prayer today is like, how can we fit into a message in 30 so minutes? Like, hey, we're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love others. Oh yeah, and we have the extravagant love of Father. I, I can't fit it all in, but I know that the Holy Spirit can move. And I, and I just believe as we talk about the love of our faith, that our faith is best expressed through love. As we talk about this love, that I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit right now is gonna tell anybody in this room that has a vacuum of love in their life, that has felt judged lately, for anyone who has felt unloved, who anyone who has felt like I'm, I'm alone in this world, that you would right now feel the love of the Father pouring out over you, drenching you with his love. That anyone in this room that would feel like, man, I don't know if anybody really loves me that you would know that your heavenly Father, do you know that your heavenly Father always wants time with you? He's never too busy for you. He never says, hey, I'll call you back later. He never says, hey, I got, I got to go. I got to, I got, I'll get back to you. I know this is silly, but think about it. Like, he is always there. That's why he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will, I'm always with you. That's, that's the love of the Father. He's never gonna say, I don't understand you. He's never gonna say, I don't like you. He's never gonna say, I don't accept you. He's never gonna say, I'm tired of you. And I just know, I just know that some of us just need, we just need the love of the Father. Yeah, we wanna call a church to be people of extravagant love, but it begins with just receiving the extravagant love of the Father. He calls you his treasure and his joy. God's love for you is reckless. The extravagant love of the Father is an endless flow, an endless river that never quits pouring into your life. It's lavish. I just wanna pray for us. Would you just bow your heads? We're gonna sing in a moment, but even in this time, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just start moving in people's lives? Would you start letting people experience this love that's so good? It's so good, and we just wanna experience it today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. I pray the love that you have for every one of us is felt by, by the many in the room who've been feeling discouraged or feeling distracted or feeling disconnected. I just pray that you would just pour out your love in a way that they feel it. Lord, we know you're always pouring out. So make us aware of it, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. If today you need a fresh encounter with the love of God, would you, would you just open your heart to him right now? Just open your heart. Even as you're sitting there, maybe to open your heart, you're just gonna put your hands out in front of you, put your hands kind of open towards heaven. And in your own words, you can just start praying, God, I just, I just wanna receive your love. In your own words, you might just want to say, God, I love you. I need your love. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask your love to come and just minister to people right now. I pray against any discouragement or distraction of the enemy, and I ask for your love to come and fill hearts right now. 
if you're feeling just God's love in your heart right now, just maybe coming, I just, I just say, just, just say to him, Lord, give me more. Let it flow over you. Let it fill you up. Just allow the love of God to drench you right now. God, I just pray you bring more. Pour out your love. Feel free to come in these next few moments while we sing. This altar's open. Our prayer team is here. But I just always feel like, you know, the, we get to respond to him. We don't have to, but we get to. And if you want to respond today, to get on your knees, to cry out to him, to tell him you love him, just do it. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your love. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.